0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. You know, when I started seminary, it was 2003. We had one child, and uh, our second child was born two weeks after I started seminary. So... All in the fall of 2003, all that was happening. And it was no coincidence that one of the first classes I took when I was in school was called Marriage and Family. And the professor for that particular class, really, really great guy, really smart guy. But he was also very instrumental in shaping my perspective shaping our perspective, Darlene and myself, about a family, about leading a family, about um, teaching our children. Because, as you well know, anyone who starts a family, basically all you come into that family with, unless you have read some books or taken some classes or got some information or some advice, What you have when you begin that process is your personal experiences. I was raised a certain way. Darlene was raised a certain way. We come into that relationship with different perspectives, different experiences, and those are the things that shape the way we go about our marriage and family, our parenting process. Well, I was introduced to a fabulous book. And if you have children, if you are still um, bringing up children... Let me just suggest to you a life-changing book. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's it's unbelievable. He's got a follow-up book to that that addresses a little later age, like an adolescent age into middle school, high school, called Instructing a Child's Heart. But those two books, the things that I learned through that process really helped shape the way we have raised our our children. And it was interesting that I was able to take part in that and, and benefit from those types of things and that type of influence in my life at a very crucial time in my life because those principles spill over into other areas of life. Matter of fact, today's message from Philippians 4 is entitled, Shepherding a Church's Heart. Because whether or not you realize this, a pastor's position and uh, task has a lot to do with shepherding and and teaching and instructing and shaping people's hearts and lives toward the gospel, much in the same way as a parent would try to do that same thing for their child and try to give guidelines and give um, boundaries and, and give instruction and hopefully give Uh, good suggestions and teaching moments to their children. So what's our goal as a parent? As parents, our goal is to try to help our kids avoid mistakes. You ever heard that? Learn from somebody else's mistakes. That way you don't have to make them and you don't have to suffer the consequences. If you can see someone else that had gone through a similar situation you're about to go through or you're in the middle of then you can learn, well, let's see, they had this happen to them. It's exactly what's happening to me, and they handled it this way. Well, that worked really good. Maybe I should consider approaching it this way. Or that worked really bad. I need to not do that. I need to find a different method. So teaching, learning, instructing, shepherding, it's all about shepherding the heart of God's people. And it's interesting because in today's passage in Philippians 4, It's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's shepherding this church's heart towards some things that will help them be more like Jesus, get closer to Jesus, uh, be in touch with the direction that Jesus gives us for life and ministry and life together in the church. So here's some things that I've noticed. I've been a pastor now for, um, I'm in my 17th year of being a pastor. And I've been exposed to a lot of different experiences, a lot of different people, different places. But here's one thing that I've noticed. We're all people and we're all sinners and we all have challenges. And we all bring different perspectives to those challenges. And we have to figure out under God's direction in His Word what's the best way to handle some of those differences and different, different things that we encounter. So I read during this week, I was preparing for this message, and here's something I read that I think is very helpful for us all to hear before we go through the Scripture. Some honest differences of opinion among genuine believers could be resolved if they would just take the time to sort out why they're looking at things differently, and then if they would take their views and attitudes and submit them to the Scriptures. Do you know what that means? Hey, if I, if I think a different way than you do about a certain thing, you know what the best thing for us to do if we're both believers? Here's the best, best possible scenario. How about we sit down together with open Bibles and see what God says? Doesn't that sound like a good remedy for any kind of difference of opinion, difference in uh, maybe don't agree about something? Let's open our Bibles and sit down and say, Hey, I don't know if I'm right or not. And guess what? I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to be in good fellowship. He goes on to say this this way. Many disputes will not be resolved because those who are in disagreement will neither take the time or the energy to study the Scriptures together. In some cases, neither side wants to be corrected. Both sides are so convinced they're right that facts will not correct them. And in any case, all they want to do is win. In that frame of mind, they easily forget that it's always inappropriate at best and sinful at worst to try to manipulate believers into changing their minds. Wherever there are disagreements of principle, argue them out. Take out your Bibles. Think things through. Find out why you are disagreeing and be willing to be corrected. But in every case, whether you can reach agreement on this detail or that detail, Identify what takes absolute priority and start there. Focus on what you have in common. Listen, this is the most important sentence. Make sure you agree about the gospel. Folks, we may have all kind of different viewpoints on things, but there are some non-negotiable things as a church family we, we need to see eye to eye on. And and the first on that list, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was then falsely accused and allowed himself to be tortured and beaten. And then he ultimately went to a, a death he didn't deserve on our behalf, as a substitute. He died. He shed his blood. His body was destroyed, buried. On the third day, he rose again in victory. He walked out of the grave. He was seen over a period of 40 days by more than 500 eyewitnesses that witnessed his physical bodily resurrection He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God right now praying for us. Jesus Christ is Savior of the world, Redeemer, Lord. And that's something we, we can all agree on, right? That's common ground. Regardless of what else goes on, what else we have to talk about or deal with, we may see things a little differently, but we have to agree on the gospel. And so Paul gives us a guideline today, seven seven things, seven commands, if you will, that will tell us, here's how we can go forward together with the gospel as our guide and be closer to Jesus, live more for Jesus, reflect Jesus even more to the community, to those around us. Philippians chapter 4, let's read together. I'll read, if you follow along, Philippians chapter 4, the first nine verses. And let's see what God has to say to us today about shepherding a church's heart. Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak to our hearts so clearly today. Give us the grace of understanding and, ob- and obedience to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Seven things that the Apostle Paul told this church, hey, you need to do this. If you want to be a church after the heart of God, you need to do this. And he lists seven things, and we're going to go through them fairly quickly today. There's not a lot of uh, explaining to do as much as there is application because the commands that, that the Lord gives us in His Word today are so clear, clear and concise. Number one, stand firm. Stand firm. You see that in the first verse. Paul says, therefore, so you know that's based on the previous text, on the previous chapter or several paragraphs in chapter 3, when he's talking about pressing on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about he hasn't got there yet. He's still mature. He's still growing. But he's pushing forward. And so he says to the church, he calls them beloved. People he loves and longs to see. His joy and crown, he even says. But his concern for the people comes out of his love love. For the people. And he says, stand firm. Listen to what uh, in in the translation is called the message. I don't know if you've seen that before. Listen to this verse in the message. It says, my dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I really do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. You fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Be steady in God. Stand firm is the command here. Stand firm. In the Lord, on your beliefs, in your faith, trusting the Lord. Stand firm. Number two, live in unity. Live in unity. This is verses 2 and 3. He actually mentions two ladies by name. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in this church and I show up to the worship service and they're reading a letter from Paul, I'm excited. Paul's writing back to us. But then, can you imagine how these two ladies might have felt that he called them out by name because they were disagreeing about something? That's kind of a big deal. That might have been a little awkward moment. Maybe even a little embarrassing. But I want you to not miss the important part that Paul includes about these two ladies. He mentions Euodia and Syntyche. He says, listen to what he says about them. They've shared the struggle for the gospel. They've worked alongside Paul for the faith of the gospel, which, by the way, is the main verse in Philippians back in chapter 1 and verse 27 when he said, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the key verse to the whole letter. And he mentions these two ladies and he's begging with them to live in harmony or unity. And he says even uh, to his friend, his true companion, the Greek there says, true yoke fellow, it's like most likely the pastor of the church, while he's gone, you know, he planted the church, and then he left, and there were leaders in the church, he's, he's going back and addressing the leadership of that congregation, he says, help them, help these women. And, and just note that even though he's naming them and says, hey, you need to live in harmony with one another, but he's not neglecting to mention what they have already done in the past, working, struggling with Paul in his work for the gospel. And then he says, he mentions Clement and the rest of his fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These are believers that have been working for the gospel and he, he, he wants them to be unified for the sake of the gospel, be unified he says their disagreements apparently over the doing of the gospel not the content of the gospel and he asked for help from the true companion one of the leaders in the church help these women and by the way to live the gospel life effectively people have to learn to subordinate their personal agendas to the greater agenda of the gospel this means humble Sacrificial giving of yourself for the sake of others—that's what the gospel's about, anyway. Isn't that what Jesus did? Humbly, sacrificially giving himself, he's given us the example to follow. And listen, unity is vital to the health and the influence of the church. If the church seeks to make a positive influence for the sake of the gospel in the community or further out even, if we want to make a difference for Jesus, unity is absolutely crucial. Unity is crucial. So we need to be unified around the gospel. Live in unity. Number three, rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 4. It was so important, he said it twice. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice this is a present command that means he uses the repetition for emphasis all the time no matter what the circumstance rejoice in the Lord and let me tell you why that's important did you know that if our joy comes from our circumstances then every time our circumstances change we're going to be miserable did you know if you base your joy and happiness just on what's going on around you you know how often the circumstances in your life change all the time. You'd be on a, a terrible roller coaster ride if you based your joy and happiness on your circumstances. That's why, if we believe in Jesus, our delight has to be in the Lord Himself. Paul writes from prison to Christians who are suffering for their faith. He's suffering and he's writing. To Christians who are also suffering for their faith. Christian joy is not temporary and does not depend on circumstances. It is predicated on the fact that we are in the Lord. If you are in Christ, your source of joy, guess what? Never changes. Jesus, Hebrews tell the Hebrew, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He is consistent. Your joy comes from Christ. So no matter what, listen, no matter what happens in life, everything changes all around you. Guess what? That can't steal your joy if your joy is in Jesus. Our joy, our happiness, our sense of purpose, everything good in our lives comes from Jesus. So just to recap so far, stand firm, number one. Live in unity, number two. Number three, rejoice in the Lord. And now in verse five, number four, be known for gentleness. Be known for gentleness. This is an important verse because there's two things going on here. First of all, the command. Verse five, let your gentle spirit or your gentleness or your reasonableness be known to all men. Now, why would that be important? Because the Lord is near. You see that? You see how those two things sit right side by side in verse 5? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. See, if we promote ourself, then we're not promoting Christ. And by the way, in our culture today, it seems like promoting self under the disguise of promoting Jesus is almost so common it's not even noticed. You ever heard of a humble brag? Go, just go just wander out on social media a little bit and watch what people put out there. It's, and, and if you didn't know, if you're, if you're on social media, whichever one, doesn't matter, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, doesn't matter, it's a highlight reel. You know that, right? Social media is a highlight reel. It's not real life. I guarantee you. Because you know how I know that? Because every account on every social media is administrated by some person. And guess what I know about people? We're all messed up. Every person. We're sinful. We got trouble. We got challenges. We have issues in life. Right? Anybody got a, an issue-free, stress-free life going on? I didn't think so. So when you see things on social media, what you need to do is filter that stuff and understand, hey, this, this isn't the whole story. This is never the whole story. It's a highlight reel. You think most, most people don't go out on social media so they can share everything that's going bad in their lives. It's always, this is going great, this is awesome, you know, this is, this is better than it's ever been. Well, you, you know, if you see a lot of folks that are just saying, oh, I'm having a terrible day today. Um, this went bad. This went wrong. This is going terrible. Well, I just, I don't read those. I don't want to hear about all that. The point is, we are not promoting ourselves. We are promoting Christ. Because he's near. In other words, his coming is near. His presence is near. Maybe I should explain it this way. Because it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let's let's take this for an example. Let's pretend for a moment that Jesus walked into this room right now. Because it says the Lord is near. Let's pretend that Jesus walked through the door and came and stood right here in front of this table. Would any of you at that moment want to walk up? I mean, Jesus, and and let's say for the sake of argument, there was no doubt to his identity. Everybody in the room knew 100% that's Jesus Christ standing right here in front of us, okay? If that happened, would any of you just run right up here and kind of walk in front of Jesus and say, Hey, look how awesome I am. Let let me let me tell you what I did yesterday. Let me tell you what I did this week. Let me tell you how many awesome qualities I have. Let me give you my resume in case you didn't know, because I'm I'm kind of a big deal. Jesus, would any of you be rushing up to to brag to Jesus about how cool you were? Anybody know the song? I can only imagine. You know the chorus of that song. The words to the chorus of that song. Surrounded by your glory? What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or or to my knees will I bow? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? What if he was standing right there? I'll tell you this, we're not going to be bragging about ourselves when we're in the presence of Jesus. If anything, if, if we can form a word at all, it'll be bragging about Jesus. We won't be bragging about ourselves. I suspect it will be a lot of humility, a lot of awe, worship, reverence, Fear, it won't be about me, I can tell you that. Because I I don't have anything to say about myself in that instance. So here's the thing about verse 5. All right, everybody, lean in a little bit. This this hurt my feelings when when I wrote it down. Lean in. Just because we can't see him, is the reality any different? just because he's not physically standing here, does that mean he's not near? Does that mean our attitude should be any different because he's not physically standing there? Or should our posture, should our perspective be more filled with gentleness, humility? No, no, Jesus, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm nothing special. The only thing special about me is that, that, you, that I know you. And that's not even about me. It's about you. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We could read that verse every day just as a reminder. The Lord is near. So be known for gentleness. Number five. This is where it gets... This is the meat right here. Be anxious for nothing. Verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. This is a, another present imperative command. It's using the, the negative, being anxious for nothing. So if, if you're worrying about a lot of stuff, if you're anxious over a lot of stuff, guess what? That's the, that's the mark of a life of the, the culture. Unbelieving, untrusting. When the present is all there is, there's no certainty about anything. If we're in Christ, if we know Jesus and Jesus knows us, we, we need to rest in Jesus. Does that make sense? Did you know? I, I read this. I, I, wish I, I wish I'd said this myself, but this is a great quote. I've yet to meet a chronic worrier who also enjoys an excellent prayer life. You know how you guard against worry and anxiety? Pray. That's what the Bible says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. So, the best way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. It's a solution for how to go about following, obeying Jesus. Make your requests known. Let them be known to God. It's the basic posture of gratitude and thankfulness. What's the result in verses 6 and 7? What's the result of, okay, I'm not going to worry about anything, but I'm going to pray about everything. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. I'm going to let my request be made known to God. And what's going to happen, verse 7 says? The peace of God, which is so amazing, I can't even understand it. It's beyond my comprehension but the peace of God is going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. You ever, you ever been laying in the bed and your mind is going 100 miles an hour and you just can't go to sleep? It's too much on your mind? You can't turn your brain off. Anybody else been there? Yeah, it's terrible. You, you're so tired and you can't make yourself go to sleep. You know what the best thing to do right then? Pray. Pray. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. Who doesn't need the peace of God? We all need the peace of God. it's It's so comprehensive and so ultimate, ultimate peace, we can't even understand it. It's beyond our comprehension. But it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful promise. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Number six. Last two verses here. And they kind of go together. So I'm going to say six and seven together. Number six is think about the right things. Think about the right things. Number seven, do the right things. Think about the right things. Do the right things. What's that look like, Paul? He says, "Think on these things. What, what, what should we think about? Well, remember David said in Psalm 139, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting." What should we be thinking about? Verse eight, Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good reputation? If it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise, think about that stuff. Think about that stuff. So what should we guard ourselves against? See, there's a other side of that coin. If it's true, that means it's not false. If it's honorable, that means it's not dishonorable. If it's just, that means it's right, not wrong. If it's pure, that means it's not polluted or dirty. If it's lovely means it's not ugly. it's, It's pleasing, not displeasing. If it's of good repute or it's praiseworthy, commendable, that means it's not worthless or disgraceful. If it's excellent, that means excellence of character. That means it's not a lack of character or insult. If it's worthy of praise, it's not worthy of condemnation. Good things to hide God's Word in our hearts as opposed to just our computer's means we ought to memorize it, read it, reread it, think about it, turn it over in our minds, think about the right things. There's a list right there. Think about the right things. And finally verse 8 or verse 9 I should say, verse 9, do the right things. Paul closes this paragraph by saying there's four areas I want you to try to commandeer for yourself. He says, "You've learned some things from me, you've received some things from me, you've heard some things from me, and you've seen some things in me. Remember, he's going back 10 years when he was there with them. He planted a church, and Now it's 10 years removed. He's writing a letter back. Things you've learned, received, heard, seen. What's he say to do with that stuff? Practice. Practice these things. It's not a checklist. It's not do this and then you're done with that. You don't have to do any anymore practice. What's the old saying? Practice makes perfect. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? Perfect practice makes perfect. You can practice something wrong and then end up being used to doing something wrong. Perfect practice makes perfect. You practice the right things in the right way. Right? So Paul says stuff you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, Practice these things. Let it be habit-forming. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. That's two times in this one passage that Paul talks about peace. You know what that tells me? What's one of our greatest needs in this life? We need the peace of God. We need the peace of God. With all the nonsense that's going on in this world, we need the peace of God. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And when you do that, the peace of God will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. You know, when you're lying there in the bed and you can't go to sleep because you can't turn your brain off, you need the peace of God to guard your mind. When you don't know what to think about, true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, good reputation, think about Philippians 4.8. Practice these things. Think about the right things. Do the right things. The God of peace will be with you. You know how peace comes to us? This is a, a memorial. In fact, we're about to do it right now this is a memorial this this is meant what's it say on front of the table do this in remembrance of me this is a reminder folks the body and the blood of christ this is a reminder where's our peace come from how do we get peace in jesus we have peace in christ because of what he's done for us that's where our peace comes from We think about the right things. Think about the things of God. Do the things of God. Pray to God. Don't be worrying. Pray. The best way to be anxious for nothing is to be prayerful for everything. Experience the peace of God. And guess where that begins? Do you know Jesus today? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Has He forgiven you, saved you from your sins, given you the promise of eternal life in heaven? Have you heard, you've heard the gospel today. Have you believed the gospel? Have you trusted in Jesus? Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Merlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.merlinchurchsc.org.